right, folks, good to be here this evening. As you can tell, there was a lot in that portion of Scripture. This is not on, but my lapel will be on. Let me get this going here. All right. Appreciate you folks being here this evening, and uh, I'm glad and thankful that Pastor McMurtry uh, invited me to come here. It's nice to meet you folks, and uh, you're not too far away from me. Amen. And uh, just to let you know, I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm, a, I'm a lot nervous, okay? But it'll be all right. Uh, when I get nervous, I ramble. All right, so we could be out of here at 10 o'clock if you all listen fast enough. How's that sound? You know, I, I truly am nervous, but actually I get nervous every time I'm out of pulpit because it's a great responsibility to be able to stand beho- behind this sacred desk and preach God's Word. It's a great responsibility. Um, it's a great privilege, but with that privilege comes responsibility. Um, a lot of preachers sometimes seem to forget that, you know, they're going to be held accountable to every word that comes out of their mouth. And I wish that we were perfect people, but unfortunately not. I had one time a, a man say to me that, um, you know, you just need to preach God's word. You need to preach God's word. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, the only way that we could preach a perfect sermon is if we just quoted Scripture the whole time and never said anything else because we believe that God's word is perfect, right? Uh, unfortunately, we are imperfect people. But thank God that He uses the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise, right? Uh, I'm a little bombastic, okay? And I, I'm just going to tell you this right now. I'm not a very deep theological preacher. I'm a very practical preacher's, uh, preacher. I look at the Scriptures. I try to make it very applicable to everybody that is in here from the oldest to the youngest. Amen? But tonight I want to give you a very simple truth that I believe that the Lord... Um, would have us all to hear in regard to the scripture that was read um, in Matthew chapter number 19. Uh, the main portion of scripture that I want to focus on this evening is found in verse number 35, starting there. And it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let me go ahead and pray again, and then I will get into this. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you'd bless the message. Lord, I'm unworthy to stand behind your sacred desk, but Lord, you've called me to do so. I'm thankful that Pastor McMurtry invited me here to preach to these great people. I pray that you'd be with him and his family as they are traveling. I pray that uh, the time that they have together would be a, a joyful time and a refreshing time. And Lord, that you'd help them uh, to re-home, return home safe. I pray that you bless these folks who are chosen, who chose to be faithful to your house on Wednesday night. They didn't have to come here. They chose to be here. Many of them got off work an hour or two ago. And, and Lord, I, I pray that uh, you would bless them for their faithfulness to your house. I pray that you speak to us in regard to this subject of being moved with compassion. Lord, I, I just pray that you'd help us to see the importance of having compassion in the lives of other people as we go out and try to reach them with the gospel, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I just want to give you briefly 
before I get into this, and I, I think this is very, very appropriate um, that you know a little bit about me and a little bit about my background. Um, I was not raised in church. Matter of fact, uh, uh, I had not been in church very much prior to me turning 17 years old. The only time that I would go to church was to, um, you know, check out a girl. Okay, very, very w- wrong reasons to do so. Um, I had never been to church, but uh, I was raised by a mom and a stepfather who um, were alcoholics and they were into drugs and just about any kind of abuse you can think of in a home. That's what I grew up in. And at 17 years old, I was in the ninth grade, and it wasn't because I was intellectually challenged. It was because I was always into trouble and fighting and and gangs in school. I grew up in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, a very rough area, the east side of Fort Worth. I've moved often. Many times it was very common for me to move four, five times in a school year. Um, My mom that uh, and my stepfather, they were not saved. Uh, They were both drug addicts and very heavy alcoholics. My mom died of a drug overdose at 44 years old or 43 years old. Uh, My stepfather, he lived a little bit longer than that, but he ended up dying of cirrhosis of the liver. So that kind of gives you the idea of the environment of which I grew up in. Now, uh, growing up in that environment and not knowing God and not knowing the truth in the Scriptures, not knowing Jesus Christ, of course, uh, you're going to end up in a very bad situation with a very bad person, and that's what I was. I was a walking, ticking time bomb. And I'll never forget, at the age of 17, my, my mom, she just about had enough of me, and she decided to kick me out of the house. She said, I have my own problems and I don't need your problems on top of my problems. So I, I got kicked out of the house and I went to live with one friend and got kicked out. And I went to live with another friend and got kicked out of his house and, and the third friend. And, and I, I was literally living the, the living and I slept on a basketball court. I had a backpack with my clothes in it and I used a basket. I used a backpack as a pillow to sleep on, and I thought to myself, what in the world am I doing? You know, I, I, I have a, a, my biological father who lives in another state. Let me call him Collect. You remember the days where they actually had pay phones, and you could call Collect, you could call 1-800-COLLECT or whatever, and you would tell them, you know, at the tone, say your name, and it would call the person, and it would say, you have a Collect call from, and then my dad would hear the name Jason. And uh, I hadn't got to see my dad a whole lot growing up. But I do know this. I was prompted to contact my dad because my dad, uh, he was a post-Vietnam veteran. He got involved in drugs and his life was a mess. And then all of a sudden something happened in his life and he changed. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea or no clue what it was. So I contacted my dad and I said, Dad, I'm literally living on the streets. I have no place to go. Can I come and live with you? And he, he said, well, let me uh, talk to my wife and, and different things like that. So I said, okay, well, you do that. I'm going to go ahead and step down, okay? I'm also a walker and a pacer, okay? Um, and I said, uh, okay. Um, and so uh, he said, call me back in about an hour. So I called him collect again. You know, it wasn't like we could pull out our cell phones and, and just or send a text message, right? The younger generation of people will never understand any of that, Amen. So I called him back and he said, yes. So, so uh, I, I talked to uh, my wife and they said that uh, you can come live with us. But I have two rules. Rule number one, you obey the rules of my house or you're out. 
I thought, well, okay, I could do that. And he said, rule number two, you go to church every time we go to church. And I thought to myself, well, I, I guess I could do that. I mean, I didn't realize that uh, when I got there, I didn't realize they go to church Sunday morning, they go to church Sunday night, they go to church Wednesday night, they go to church in revivals, they have teen soul winning, they have teen stuff and all these different things. Uh, but I'll never forget this. I get on the plane and I fly from DFW airport to, to uh, New Orleans. And I was getting off the plane. And at the moment I got off the plane... Uh, I'm going to tell you this. You may see me now, and you may never think that, but uh, when I got off the plane, I was wearing extremely baggy clothes. I had an earring in my ear, and I had a gold chain around my neck. And my father said to me, he said, okay, the moment I got off the plane, he got that earring. He said, take out your earring, and I took it out, and I gave it to him. I thought to myself, what in the world is, (laughs) why do you want my earring? And he said, you need to take your chain off and put it in your pocket or whatever. And uh, different things of that nature. And I thought to myself, okay, all right, well, I'm going to go with it. Well, the very next day, he said, okay, I want to find out what kind of music you have. And I said, well, I don't have too bad music. I mean, it's not that bad. I mean, there's only a handful of uh, CDs that I have that have cuss words in them, if that's okay. And he said, no, I need all of those. And he took all this stuff from me. And I happened to arrive on Tuesday night. Well, the next day was Wednesday, and I remember going to church that night, and it was a church, a Central Baptist church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It was a fundamental, independent, Bible-believing Baptist church. And it was a very big church. It probably ran, I don't know, on Wednesday night at that time, it was probably running over 300 people. And I remember going there, and I remember sitting, it was probably over in this section, and I sat, you know, my family kind of sat there, and I kind of sat at the end seat there, and I kind of slumped down like the punk teenagers do, and just, you know, I thought I was a real cool guy. And by the way, you know what cool means, right? It means not so hot, right? And um, so I remember doing that, and somebody coming up to me, Somebody coming up to me, and I didn't know this person, but they put their arm around me. And they said, you just, you just came from, um, from Texas, right? And I said, yes, sir. I said, yeah. And he said, no, it's yes, sir. And uh, I said, okay, yes, sir. And he said, I just want to let you know, you don't know me, but I've been praying for you. And I didn't know this, but there were a lot of people actually that came through there and that said, hey, nice to meet you. You know, they, they gave me a hug, just said, hey, we've been praying for you. I didn't know that my dad and my stepmom for many months and, and even a couple years actually were putting in a prayer request. Hey, pray for my lost son, Jason. Pray for my lost son, Jason, that, that he comes to the knowledge of the truth and all these different things. But the bottom line was this, is that one thing that I saw in their lives, in the people, I'll never forget the first time I heard a hymn sung. You know, the same uh, uh, same kind of hymns that we sing right now. There was a song, there is sunshine in my soul today. There is sunshine. I didn't know what it was, but I remember seeing a man right here. I mean, he was raising his hand singing that hymn, and, and he was crying, because, and he was so happy. And I was like, what in the world? And the preacher that got up, I'm telling you what, when he got up to preach, he didn't care who was in there. He just preached it straight and true. And I thought to myself, who does this guy think he is? Well, I did that Wednesday, and I did that Sunday morning, and I did that Sunday night. And there were two types of people that interacted with me. The first type of people that interacted with me were people that I believe sincerely loved me and care about me and were praying for me. The other type of people that interacted, me, interacted with me were Pharisees. 
And I thought to myself, what is the difference between these two types of people? The, the difference was compassion. And I read these scriptures here and I just think to myself oftentimes, thank God there was somebody in my life personally that showed compassion in my life. And, and by the way, going back to all of that, the two type of people, the people that showed compassion and love and kindness to me and gave me room to grow. Guess what they're doing right now? They're still in church. The people that were Pharisees and the people that were looking down on me and made little snide comments and wrote me off and all these different things. Guess where they're at? Not in church today. Many years. The difference was compassion. And as I was thinking about this matter of compassion, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Let's, number one, look at the, the condition of the multitudes. The condition of the multitudes, the Bible says in, in verse number 35, it said, And Jesus went about teaching all the cities and villages, teaching in, in, in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Notice this, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad having sheep, as, as sheep having no shepherd. You understand this, that there was every sickness and every disease. This speaks of, of physical sickness and, and physical pain and physical hurt and sorrow. Uh, the Bible says they were fainted. It speaks of weakness and exhaustion. The Bible says that these people, they were scattered abroad. These were people with no direction and no moral compass and no place to belong. The Bible says that these people were as sheep having no shepherd. This means this, that there was no one in their life to love them. There was no one in their life to care for them or to intervene for them. No one to look into, in, in, uh, no one to look to in leadership to guide them in, in their life. And I, I look at that and I say, that was me. I was, I was dealing with physical pain and spiritual pain and I had no direction and I had no moral compass and no place to belong. And I, I remember, uh, that time, Sitting on a, on a balcony the, the 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 night before my last night of literally sleeping on the streets, looking up into the heaven. I, I don't want to talk about what I was doing. I'd be ashamed about it. But I was there, and I I looked up to to the stars, and I remember even just saying, "God of Abraham." That's all I knew. I was like, "God." I, I saw the Ten Commandments with Charleston Heston. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> that's all. I, I was like, "There has to be more to life than what I'm doing." But if you think about this situation in the Scripture, this wasn't just a few random cases or isolated incident. The Bible describes them as the multitudes, not multitude. The multitudes, which is plural, and it's so easy to lose sight of the condition of the multitudes of people in this life. So we see, number one, the condition of the multitudes. Then we're going to look at the compassion of the Master. The compassion of the master, it was a result of his location in verse 35. Where was he? The Bible says he, Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, so it was a result of his location traveling about all the cities and the villages in their synagogues. 
Could you imagine that today if a bunch of us just decided, hey, we're going to go into a Catholic church and just start preaching? That would be interesting to see how that turned out. I would imagine that we would be ushered out pretty quickly. Amen. <laughs> Especially when we start talking about how, how the Catholic religion is, is a bunch of hogwash, right? But the, the first step in, you know, understand this, that his compassion was a byproduct of the fact that he was where they were. The first step to having compassion is that we must go to where the sinners are. Because I don't know about you, I don't see a whole lot of sinners lining up to go in good churches today. Amen? They don't do that today. It's not like, hey, we can put a big sign in front of our churches and say, Free Gospel Sunday. They're not going to line up on the door. But I guarantee you, I'd mark it down. If you said Free Thousand Dollar Sunday to every person that comes to church, they'd be lining up down the road, right? Well, what's going to benefit them more? You understand this? Many of you work jobs and you're in the, the ladies in the supermarkets or in the stores or, or all sorts of different things. You know, uh, you look at those people and those people that you are looking at, you got to understand this. Many of them are lost. And by the way, lost people act like lost people. They do. So you can't look at someone and say they're being an idiot. Well, they're lost, of course. Right? Sometimes, and I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. Sometimes I'm like, I look at someone and their hair is all like crazy and it's all different colors and they got piercings and they got tattoos. And I'm looking at myself and the Lord will remind me, remember from whence you came. But hold on, they don't know the truth. And, um, his compassion was a byproduct of the fact of where they, where he was, where they were. Uh, the first step of having compassion is, is that we must go to where sinners are. It would be easy for us to sit here. Now let me say this. It'd be easy for us to sit here in church. It's easy for us as Christians to sit in a Bible believing, Bible preaching church where we do have the truth. And almost have a spiritual, almost condescending attitude while thinking, well, we are a church. If, if they want a feed, they know where to find us. Well, of course. There's a church on every corner. Listen, I, I've lived in Louisiana. In my church in Louisiana, in Pochettel, Louisiana, it was a town of 8,000 people. We had in Pochettel, a town of 8,000 people, 23 Baptist churches. 23. All different stripes, all different flavors. Most of them, probably 95% of them were denominational Baptist, not doctrinal Baptist. Baptist by title only. So, there's plenty of churches around. you got Baptist churches. And by the way, there's only one church, right? <laughs> there's only one church that teaches and preaches the truth. And it's not a denominational Baptist, it's a doctrinal Baptist church. Uh, we have to know why we're Baptists. But, you know, we have always been known as the people to go out and win them and wet them and work them. Right? And that's what we ought to do. But whenever we see those people out there, we've got to understand, they don't know the truth. Um, but we oftentimes do that. We're like, hey, the church doors are open. Where's everybody at? Right? Now, aren't you glad that Jesus came to you? Amen. I'm glad He came to you. Aren't you so glad when you could not come to where He was? He came to you. You think about this song. How can we reach a world 
we never touched. How can we show them Christ if we never show them love? Just to say we care will never be enough. How can we reach a world we never touch? You know, the, the words to the song, there's another section, the bridge. It said, we hide behind these walls in the security of friends while beyond the stained glass windows, the world is lost in sin. I believe that every single one of us takes pride in the verse, come out from among them and be ye separate, right? And I believe in separation. As Baptists, you ought to believe in separation, okay? Uh, I believe separation is a biblical doctrine. I believe in separation. I preach separation. I teach separation. I practice separation. But if I do not believe, I, I, I should not believe that my separation should be used as an excuse to not exercise compassion and go out to where the sinners are and bring them in. We sing the song, bring them in. She was playing it earlier. Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring them in from the fields of... If we don't believe that, we might as well just tear that song out of our hymn book. There's a, there's a sermon that I preached called the hypocritical song leader or song singer. You know, like the song, all to Jesus, all to Jesus I... That, we don't believe that. But we sometimes... Now, I made this statement in our church that, hey, we may not believe in Calvinism. We believe that Calvinism is a, is a horrible doctrine that sends people to hell, amen? But at the same time, we practice Calvinism when we don't get out the gospel. You think about that one. But if your separation is keeping you from seeing the multitudes and keeping you from exercising compassion then let me say this, you and I do not have separation, we have isolation. Isolation. It was a result of his uh, location, but it was also a result of his lifestyle. He was always, Jesus was always busy teaching and preaching and healing. He wasn't a casual, you don't oftentimes see him being a casual observer. Helping hurting people wasn't a part-time or random act, okay? Jesus lived to minister. The Bible says in Mark chapter 10 and verse number 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. I wonder what kind of churches we would have and what kind of Christians we would be if we would just minister to as much as we have been ministered to. How much have we been ministered to? I don't know about you, but I've been ministered to a lot. You want me to tell you why? Because I sat in church for six months before I actually got saved. Now, let me tell you something. By the time I got saved, by the time I got saved, I thought, you know, I was thinking, well, okay, I, I don't cuss anymore. I don't smoke anymore. I don't drink anymore. I dress right. I'm going to church and all these different things. So I'm okay. But God said, hey, you know, that's not enough. God was dealing with me. I'll never forget. And by the way, my, my spiritual birthday is coming up in November 8th. I got saved at 17 years old at November 8th of 1996. I wasn't even in church. I was at my house, 3134 Quebec Drive in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in my bedroom next to my bed. And the Holy Spirit of God was dealing with me. You aren't saved. You've given up everything. You've done everything right. But that's not enough. You need to trust me as Savior. And I remember saying, there on my bed, laying down. On, I wasn't on my bed. I was laying down on the floor. 
And um, I just remember asking the Lord to save me that night. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, that a lifestyle change, we don't believe in reformation, we believe in transformation, am I right? We don't believe you have to give up all these things in order for you to be saved. But that's what I was thinking in my mind. But let me say this, if we do get saved, the Lord eventually wants us to give up those things, right? Because as a, as a saved person, we are a new creature, right? Created in Christ Jesus, right? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But I think about all the people that ministered unto me. You all have children. And I like children. I have nine children. Oldest is 22. My youngest is three. Pray for my wife. She's due, I guess, any time now. She told me, you know, her contractions are starting today. And I, I like to see children walking. And, and, and children, little children, little, when they start to walk in their, their hips, you can see it, it's teetering and, and they take those little steps and, and then you see them fall. And then, then, then you're like, oh, and then they get, they find some way to get them back up and then they take a step and you're like, yay! Right? You want to cheer them on when they're doing good and you want to say, oh, when they when they stumble. But even if they stumble and even if they walk, you still love that child. Sometimes you even grab them and you, you, you kind of walk with them. You hold their, they, they wrap their little fingers around your index finger and you hold them like this and they're up there and they're walking. You know what I'm talking about, folks? All the different things that children go through in their life and they stumble and they fall and they, you pick them back up and, and you teach them. For example, I'll never forget the first time I taught my daughter how to ride a bike. My oldest daughter, who's 22 now, ride a bike. I'd get on there and I'd hold that seat and she's riding a bike with no training wheels at this time and, and I'd hold that seat and eventually I'd let that seat go and she would ride. And the moment she'd start looking back to find out if dad was holding the seat, she would teeter over and fall. And then I'd pick her back. She'd, she'd cry a little bit and I'd wipe her little tears there. And, and then she'd get back on the, the seat and hold her there and then she would do it again. We see those situations with children. Sometimes I think we forget to make the same application to Christians who just get saved. They're babies. They stumble and they fall. And we have to be almost like their parent that picks them up and wipes the dust off. And we just put them back on their, their bike. And My church in, in Louisiana, I had a guy, he'd, he'd be the, the guy watching the door back there. Big old guy, burly beard, shaved head, used to be a Satan worshiper, had a pentagram tattoo right here, and I led him to the Lord, and he got baptized, and he started growing in the faith, 
By the time, when I first met him, his life was an absolute mess. By the time I left that church, he was wearing a three-piece suit as a, at a, as a greeter in the back table or in the back, the back door. I have ex-druggies, ex-alcoholics. I've had ex-prostitutes in my church. Because the first moment after they get saved, they stumble and fall. I don't kick them to the curb. Say, don't you know you're not supposed to do that? <laughs> I think to myself how much I've been ministered to. And because I have been ministered to the, to get me to this place to where now I'm a, a pastor, a preacher of the gospel, I think to myself, to whom much is given, much shall be required. No, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, and uh, no, I, 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 my early, I didn't grow up on Patch the Pirate, and I didn't learn Jesus loves me, and I didn't get to sit with my family in church every Sunday, and I didn't get to put my little pennies in the offering plate, and I didn't learn how to memorize Scripture. I didn't even own a Bible until I was, you know, 16, 17 years old, and didn't even read it. And then there were, you know, but. I'll tell you all the bad things I've done, and I've been forgiven of a lot, and because I've been forgiven of a lot, and God showed me compassion a lot, guess what? To whom much is given, He's given me forgiveness, and because of that, I need to forgive other people and show compassion as well. So many times we get so consumed on how can we be ministered to instead of who can we minister to. Everybody, Jesus saw was a potential soul saved. Now, a burden for souls isn't something that you just flip on and off, folks. It's not. Some may say, well, preacher, I don't have a burden for people. And by the way, just because we don't have a burden for people doesn't necessarily mean we have a calling to give them. Give them the gospel. You think about Jonah. Jonah did what he did. He didn't have a burden. He had exactly the opposite of that, but yet he had a calling. And believe it or not, every single one of us has a calling to get out the gospel to everybody. It was a result of His love. This was not a chore or duty, but Jesus had a deep emotional uh, motivation. He was moved, the Bible said. He was moved. The Bible describes Jesus' reaction as He was moved with compassion. He wasn't repulsed. He wasn't angered. He wasn't frustrated. The Bible says that He was moved with compassion. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1 and verse number 40, there came a leper to Him, beseeching Him and kneeling down to Him and saying unto Him, If Thou wilt and canst make me clean, and Jesus moved with compassion, put forth His hand and touched the dirty, stinking, rotten leper, and saith unto Him, I will be Thou clean. We would say, oh, that's sinner. Oh, just, oh, nasty. I mean, look at their hair. I mean, look at their tattoos. I mean, look how he is dressed. I don't want to go near them. Right? The most disgusting disease of that day was leprosy. When everyone got too close to the leper, he had to yell, unclean, unclean. But Jesus was moved with compassion and actually touched him. What moves you? You know, more people are moved by the wrong things today, are they not? Sports. I love sports. I coach sports. They're moved with sports. 
Money. People love money, right? It's all in everybody's mind. People are moved by money. They're moved by politics. They're moved by hobbies and jobs and things. And, and guess what? I'm not against people, places, and things. But I am against those things when they have you. If you have things in your life, there's nothing wrong with that. But when those things have you, that's when it becomes wrong. There are more Christians more upset and more emotionally distraught about some things than they are about those people lost without God and dying and going to hell. So lastly, let's look at the crisis of the moment. This is a crisis, folks. In verse number 37, the Bible says this, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore... The Lord of the, uh, the the Lord of the harvest that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Few. It was a recognition of the potential. The la- the harvest is plenteous. Jesus saw only enormous possibilities of a huge and plenteous harvest. When you see a person, do you see a harvest or do you see a person? You know, a farmer he doesn't look at a field. And, and just see a crop. All these fields around here, they're all being harvested. When a farmer looks at a field, he doesn't see a crop. He sees a harvest. A carpenter doesn't see a pile of lumber and just sees wood. You know what he sees? A house. Imagine if all the multitudes were to be saved. Imagine how full our churches would be. Imagine how much money churches could send to the mission field. Imagine how many workers we could have. Imagine how many how many more preachers we could be putting out. Jesus saw a potential harvest when He saw those hurting people. His rebuke of the passiveness, the Bible said this, He said, but the laborers are few. I told the church people, I don't pray for people in our church, I pray for laborers in our church. I want people that will come to the church so we can reach more people. Not necessarily so we could take up more seats, so that we can actually go out and reach more people. I like the fact that whenever I walked in, I was looking at it and observing how many people y'all have had saved this year. We do the same thing. There's actually a screen that you see when you first walk in. It'll tell you how many people have been saved and how many people have been baptized. I set a goal for our church at the very beginning of the year. I would like this many people saved and this many people baptized. Praise the Lord for that. Thank God you have a pastor that has that burden, that has that vision. Because I'm going to tell you something right now. There's a lot of churches. They don't see one person saved a year. Not one person saved a year. Not one person baptized a year. Not one person making a, making a change in their life a year. Not one. We shouldn't be so passive. We should see the fact that, hey, the laborers are few. Then his request for participants. He said this, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. Let me say this. One thing for sure, if you're praying for workers... You're one step closer to volunteering. I know this is Wednesday night. This is the cream of the crop, right? This is like the, the cream out of the, 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 the whole milk, right? I mean, the, the milk and the cream goes to the top, that sweet cream. You know what I'm talking about? Fresh from the, from the udder. You know, uh, different things like that. But I'll tell you what, this is the, the, the people that say how to, out of all the people in the church, I want to display my most faithfulness on Wednesday night. I love my Wednesday night crowd, people. We're few in number. It's crazy. Wednesday night, there's sometimes tumbleweeds that go through here, you know? It kind of reminds me of an old uh, Clint Eastwood movie, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, and I, I, I like it, see tumbleweeds, and it's like, 
You know, they're coming through. Sunday morning, you know, it's kind of packed, right? Packed in like sardines, and then Sunday night, it's almost the same thing. Well, I'm going to say this. Thank God for you people that are faithful here. I would venture to say the people that are faithful on Wednesday night are also the people that are involved in reaching other people. So I'm probably preaching to the choir whenever I talk about soul winning in general on Wednesday night. But I will say this, just because you're soul winning doesn't necessarily mean you have compassion. When you soul win with someone, um, I've had people visit our church that are from other churches and they said to me this, your church is the only church I've ever been in where there's so many new Christians and so many new converts. Because you could tell when people walk in the church and they were just smoking on the way here and you could smell it. I don't go, you need to take a bath before you come in here. I, I, listen, I'm, I'm telling you, I've dealt with some crazy stuff in church. But at the same time, I, under, I understand this. They may be saved, but just because they got saved doesn't mean they know how to, how to fix all some of their issues. It's not like all of a sudden they're just like, poof, all the problems are gone. I have been saved. So if I got saved in 1996, right? If I got saved in 1996, that means I, I've been saved 27 years. But there were 17 years of my life that I was raised in the world, raised by in, in all sorts of ungodly things. I still battle my flesh this very day from 27 years ago. And there's times where I have to apologize to my wife because I, the old man came out. In my actions, in my speech, in my behavior, there's sometimes I have to apologize to my children. And yes, there's even been people sometimes where I stood behind that pulpit and I've had to apologize to my people and said, I shouldn't have said it like this. I shouldn't have behaved myself like this. Will you forgive me? Sometimes I'm apologizing too much and sometimes I'm not apologizing enough, right? But I'm going to say this. Sometimes the old man wants to come out I'm not sanctified and consecrated and, and perfect, and that will never be me. That will never, ever be me until I go to heaven. Then I won't have to worry about that, amen? I won't have to worry about sin. I won't have to worry about sorrow. I won't have to worry about sickness. I won't have to worry about burdens. I won't have to worry about any of that. Thank God, that's going to be a great day. But until then, I have to deal with this thing called flesh. But for those people that do not know any better, and even if you tell them one time, how is it that we expect more out of, out of people that just got saved than we do our own children? You know, sometimes I think, uh, I'm just kidding with you about this, but uh, please, you know, we, how many of y'all have dogs? Anybody have a dog? Okay. I'll never forget the first time I used a training collar. I, have a, I had a Belgian Malinois, which is a police canine dog. Very high strung, very high energy. Their ears go in a triangle. They're very loyal to the master. They're very fur missiles. That's what they're called. But their ears go in a triangle like that, and they're locked in on something. They just, they just go. I mean, ferocious. But I put a training collar on that dog. And, you know, it has the beep, it has the buzz, and it has the shock. Right? We put the training collar on the dog. And the dog focused on something, started taking off. I, I beeped it. He just went on. I buzzed him like that. And I had it set up all the way and I shocked him. He lit up like a Christmas tree. Ah! Turned around and came back and sat down right here next to me. 
when we lived out in the country in Louisiana, we'd get these wild hogs that would get on the property and he'd go out there and chase them out into the swamps and out into the woods. And you hear him, I'm like, Leo, come here! I can hear him just rustling around, chasing after hogs, and I just, okay! I'd push that shock button, I hear him way out in the woods, come running back out to me. We put collars on dogs to train them. We can't do that with people, amen? Sometimes you want to, right? (laughs) But I'll say this. We need to exercise patience. Over and over again in Scriptures, in the New Testament, Paul talks about long-suffering, forbearing, patience, all of those things. I'm going to say this. If somebody didn't exercise that in my life, patience, long-suffering, forbearance, I would not be here today. I would not be here today. My children would not exist today. I have young people that are in Bible college preparing to serve the Lord. I have young people that I've reached that are in the ministry today that would not be there if somebody didn't exercise compassion with me. I'm going to read this verse, and it's a very familiar portion of Scripture to all of us, but I just want to want us to think about it in Jude chapter 1, just in case you... It says, Beloved, remember the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own godly, uh, ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And some, having compassion, making a difference. In order for us to make a difference in the life of somebody else, we have to be a little different. In order for us to make a difference, we have to exercise compassion. That doesn't mean compromise. I like to say, some people say, well, you believe in compromise. No, I believe Jesus sat with sinners. He didn't sin with sinners. But he didn't go and knock them across the head and say, you're no good for nothing, sinner. What are you doing? He sat with them. Had some people, um, you know, sometimes they get um, this attitude that, hey, you know, they're above everybody else. And, well, we can't sit with sinners. Hey, if Jesus sat with sinners, you could sit with sinners doesn't mean you go in a bar and you sit with them. You don't go in a smoke lounge and sit with them or anything of that nature. Hey, but you know what? There's going to be people that you talk to. They were in a bar the night before. They were smoking dope the night before. They were out whoremongering and fornicating and all those different things the night before. It doesn't mean say, oh, God loves you. It's okay. That's not compassion. Balance is everything. You tell them where they were wrong. And you tell them in the most compassionate way. It had been said that people, you go to them and you want to open up your Bible and you want to preach the devil at them. Well, the Bible says this and the Bible says this. And I think there's a time and a place for that. I've had people go, you know, like uh, they come in our church and they want to be everybody's spiritual police officer and different things like that. And there's a lot of verses that Paul talks about in regards to someone who's a busybody. And they want to go and they want to spiritually make sure everyone's saved and, and everybody's right with God. Let me make sure you're right with God. But hold on. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. 
I believe with all my heart, you folks believe Pastor McMurtry cares about you. Amen? And because you believe he cares about you, he can get up here and preach God's truth out of God's Word, straight and true. And you know, the only reason why, even, he, even though he might be stepping on my toes, I know my preacher cares about me. That's a good thing. And it ought to be the same way. Those people that you exercise compassion about, when they know you care about them, then you can go and take the Scripture. Because they're saying, this persons they're not being judgmental of me. They're not just trying to preach to me. They care about me. They love me. They want to exercise compassion. They want to make a difference in my life. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this evening. Thank You for Your example of expressing compassion in our life. In, in the lives of many people, Lord, I pray that You'd help us to see Your example of compassion and exercise it in the lives of other people. Lord, I thank You for the people that You placed in my life that exercise compassion to me. Because if it were not so, Lord, I would not be here. Lord, time and time again, I don't want to be patient. I don't want to be long-suffering. I don't want to be forbearing. I don't want to be compassionate. But Lord, that's not what You would have me to do. I pray that as these folks go home, that they would think about, am I compassionate? Am I compassionate toward other people? Toward these babies in Christ? Toward those that don't, don't know any better? Lord, I pray that You watch over these folks as they go home. Keep them safe. Again, we pray that You be with the McMurtry family as they travel back. Keep them safe. Help them to come back refreshed. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, folks.